Last week we finished up uh, that run of messages called So You Want to Be Rich and today we get to launch a new series, a mini-series this one is. It's going to take us right up to Christmas Eve and we call this mini-series Unwrapped, it's called. And we want to do, what we want to do with these next couple of weekends, uh, this one and next weekend, is unwrap some of the Old Testament foreshadowings of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, whose arrival it is that we celebrate uh, at Christmas time. Now, I'm certain that lots and lots of us are aware that the Old Testament of the Bible is overflowing with references and foreshadowings of Jesus' birth, role, story, and so on. I'm sure there's also a whole bunch of us who haven't seen those, aren't aware that they're there in the sacred text. So for the next two weekends, we're going to take a couple, take hold of a couple of pretty well-known Old Testament narratives, and we're going to unpack how they look ahead to Christ's arrival, Christ's role, even Christ's death on the cross. Now just a note to keep in mind as we walk this study out today and next weekend, even though it will be very easy to see Jesus in nearly every Old Testament story, especially once you're looking for him there, it's really, really important for us to understand that the Old Testament narratives have their own original meaning. They stand alone as well. It's not to say that we should ignore the obvious similarities, very clear references that can be made to Jesus Christ, but we have to allow those references to coincide with the original meaning, not supersede or overshadow them. And it's my belief, my conviction, that we need to have, all of us, need to have at least a perfunctory grasp on how the Old and New Testaments actually weave together and complement each other, because if we don't, what happens is in our minds we start to separate and distinguish the two sections of the Bible, and we start to imagine a bifurcated or a divided God instead of a unified God who has been drawing people to himself since the very beginning of time. And that's who God is, and that is what he is about. He has been drawing people to himself since the very beginning of time. We're going to kick off this unwrapped series by unwrapping some of the Christ foreshadowings in the Abraham and Isaac narrative. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, chapter 22. I'd invite you to put your finger in there and then turn your attention to the screens and watch this. I'm Abraham, the father of many nations, and this is my dear devoted wife, Sarah. Huh. Did you want to say something? No. You sure? Yes. Now, where was I? Your dear devoted wife. Oh, yes. Well, we've been married for, well, look at me. I'm an old man, which makes her still the most sweet, beautiful, adoring. I beg your pardon? Father of many sons. How many of those do you think I gave birth to? Sarah, please. Exactly one. That's how many. One. Son, could you please take your earphones out? 
Son, could you please take your earphones out? Please take your earphones out. My son, Isaac. Excuse me. Did he tell you about the time he tried to kill me? I guess it was like some sort of test or something. He like told my dad to take me up on the mountain for the sacrifice or something. And so like, um, we got there and he like said I was a sacrifice. And so like, he like ties me up and you know, like puts me out on the altar. And then he like grabs this big scary knife. My dad, he's not going to kill me. I was definitely going to kill him. <laughs> Wait, what? Well, I'm, I'm his only son. He must be kidding. Nope. Going to kill him. Definitely. This isn't caveman days, Dad. I mean, you just can't go around killing anyone you want. That's not the worst thing I ever did. When I was 99 years old, God told me to circumcise myself. So I did. With a rock. The Lord be praised. I'm sorry, uh, about that, uh, where was I? Um, okay, so God asked him to do it, okay, and he asked him to sacrifice me, okay, and uh, he just stops him right in the nick of time. He sent a ram that was caught in a bush. That's right. Dad, that's awesome. Put her here. Yeah, I gotta update my Facebook on that one. That one's pretty sweet. It was awesome. I just wish I knew what it all meant. The Lord be praised. Sarah! A little tater tot. Would you fancy a game of wheat tennis? So now that you have some of the backstory into Father Abraham's family life, let's unwrap the biblical narrative, Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. The next morning Abraham got up early, he saddled his donkey, took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. 
On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up, saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And you talk about some story. Unbelievable. Abraham, he's the father of faith. His name actually means father of a multitude. Scholars estimated that this point in his life, the point we pick up the story, he's been walking with God for about 50 years or so. And as happens with all of us as we're growing up in faith, Abraham has already endured his fair share of tests and trials. And for Abraham, just like with all of us, test by test by test by test, those trials, they have a strengthening effect on his faith in God, on ours as well. Think about your last faith test. Think about your last faith test and think about today how much stronger your faith is because you endured that testing. Perhaps you're in the midst of enduring that testing right now. And think about how your faith has been strengthened because of it. So we encounter Abraham. He's about to face his absolute toughest test, yet almost one that's unimaginable. And God's going to try him, isn't he? And he asked the question, well, why, why is God going to do that? God's testing comes to Abraham, see, and God's testing comes to our lives in order to reveal God to us, to the person being tested, as well as to reveal God to the world, see. God's glory is the aim, is the purpose of the test every single time for Abraham in Genesis 22, for us today. Check out Hebrews 11, 17 and 18. This is a kind of a look back. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice, what? When God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. God calls Abraham to offer his son, the same son that all of the promises, the previous promises of God hinged upon, the same son that he had waited 25 years to have, the same son he had by Sarah, the son of his love. God called Abraham to offer his son on Mount Moriah as a burnt offering, wholly consumed, to be wholly consumed on the altar. Whoa, that's heavy. And the Lord knew something about Abraham. The Lord knew the strength of Abraham's faith, just like he knows the strength of our faith. God knew then that the test that he was about to administer to Abraham was one that he would be able to endure. 
1 Corinthians 10.13 drives right at that. I didn't put it on your notes page. You might just jot it down and look at that verse a little later. 1 Corinthians 10.13. And how many of us say, after we blow it, after we succumb to temptation, 1 Corinthians 10.13, by the way, speaks of there always being a way out of the temptation, that God will never give you more than you can handle. Many of you know this text. And how many... Even in the face of that passage, how many of us say after we blow it, after we've succumbed to temptation, oh my gosh, that temptation was absolutely unbearable. There was just absolutely no single way that I could ever resist that. And what 1 Corinthians 10.13 points out to all of us is that that line of reasoning, those excuses for succumbing to temptation are patently false. They're nonsense, really. 1 Corinthians 10.13 directs as much. There is, there was, there will always be a doorway out of that temptation. But when you or I or any of us succumb to that temptation, we give into it because we just don't want to walk through the door out, do we? Instead, we just want to drink in whatever the temptation is. We want to indulge ourselves fully in the temptation because we think it'll be fun, we think it'll be enjoyable, we think it will bring us some addition to our life, perhaps. And what God knows is that Abraham is up for this test, just like he knows that if there's a test in your life, he knows that you're up for it every time. I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I want us to see the gravity of what's unfolding here. All of the promises of the Messiah coming through Abraham's lineage, Abraham's descendants, depended upon this one son, Isaac. All the promises of them inheriting the land, receiving a city, depended on Isaac. All the promises of Abraham's descendants, being as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sands on the sea, demanded that this son of promise, Isaac, be alive. Not dead. Alive. All the promises of this future nation being a blessing to the rest of the nations of the world depended on this son, Isaac. And God calls Abraham to sacrifice this son of promise on an altar that was three days' journey away. And notice that Abraham never pushes back with God, does he? He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't try to work and manipulate another plan with God. Instead, he just sets out. He just goes. Talk about faith astounding faith. Now there's this verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. I put it on your notes page. And it goes like this. So Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father. Now that passage has caused many people to think that the place where Abraham and Isaac went is the same place, the mountain in Jerusalem where Solomon built the temple and so. But scholars actually think that that's sheer coincidence. It is not the same mountain. There were probably two mountains named Mount Moriah. This is just sheer coincidence, just a bit of a trivia for you. Now, uh, step back into the narrative for a moment. Put yourself in Abraham's Birkenstocks, if you will, and think about this. For three whole days, Abraham had to consider his son what? Dead. He had three days to consider that his son was going to die. He didn't have any idea how God was going to unfold this deal. He perhaps believed that God was going to have him kill his son. He knew enough about God to think, maybe God's going to have me kill my son, and then God will miraculously raise Isaac from the dead in order that all of these promises God's already made to me and us will be fulfilled. He didn't know, though. Look at Hebrews eleven nineteen. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. 
And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It's true, isn't it? Now catch this. God the Father sent his one and only son, his beloved son, in whom he was very well pleased, the one who was the son of promise, to die upon a cruel wooden cross. And then what? Be buried in a tomb for three days and three nights, and then to rise from the dead triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. And it's here in the Abraham and Isaac narrative, you start to get a sense that Abraham was likely beginning to get a glimpse of what exactly the Messiah was eventually coming to do. And we ask the question, well, what was the Messiah coming to do? John 3.16 For God loved the world so much. The world, us, all of us, every person on the face of the earth, every person who will live, every person who has ever lived. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. And you see, the shadow of the cross was cast upon the wall of that stable on that first Christmas night a couple of thousand years ago, and Abraham catches a glimpse of that shadow thousands of years before Jesus ever came to earth as an infant boy. And Genesis 22.5 is one of the most unbelievable faith statements you'll ever hear. Check this out. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. You probably caught this. And then what? We will come right back. We will come right back. Now, Abraham's not in any way 100% sure what exactly is about to transpire on that mountain, but he steps out and he testifies in great faith that they're both coming back. Amazing. Genesis 22, 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the unwrapping continues. Here's the son of promise carrying the wood that he would be sacrificed upon on his own back. Tell me that doesn't bring Jesus Christ to mind. Who was also, Jesus was, the much beloved son of promise who would one day carry his own wooden cross up the mountain. John 19, 17. Carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called place of the skull in Hebrew Golgotha Matthew 27 45 at noon darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock it's more than interesting to me that the only ones who saw what happened on the mountain were Abraham and Isaac were father and son and you hold that up next to Jesus story and the very same thing is true isn't it? The very day Christ died for three hours, darkness hid from the eyes of prying men and women, the Savior of the world, who took upon himself the sins of all of humanity and God's wrath upon the cross, Father and Son. And Isaac carries the wood. Abraham carries the fire and the knife. And scholars tell us that the fire was likely a container of coals of some kind, embers perhaps from their last campfire, he was not just carrying a blazing fire on his bare hand. The knife was just that, 
It was a knife. McGee proffers, the fire here speaks of judgment. The knife speaks of the execution of judgment and of sacrifice. 22, 7 and 8. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, you knew this is going to happen. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied. We have the fire in the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Isaac's looking around and he's like, something's missing here. We're going up this mountain to make a sacrifice and something is missing. Where is it? And how's Abraham answer his son? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And they both walked on together. It's another one of the most great faith statements in all of the sacred text. Abraham doesn't know that. He trusts, yes, but he doesn't know it. And with that statement, he's looking forward to the cross where our Messiah, the Lamb of God, would die in our place. And we see that theme pictured all throughout the Old Testament. Every sacrifice, every burnt offering, the Passover lamb, Isaiah chapter 53, all through the New Testament of the Bible, all the way to the very concluding book of the entire scripture, the book of Revelation. And Abraham's looking prophetically toward God's fulfillment of all of his promises, especially the promise of the coming redeemer. Genesis 22, 9. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar, arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham gets everything in order. He prepares the altar. Isaac then willingly lays down his life. He willingly lays down his life. There's no struggle. Now, lots of us have in our mind maybe a Sunday school flannel graph picture of little Isaac, right? He's like seven years old or something like that. He's not some little kid. Scholars tell us he's 25 to 35 years old. 25 to 35 years old. That means he could have easily taken out old man Abraham if he didn't want to get tied up and put on that altar. No one forced Isaac to give in. Isaac willingly permitted his father to tie him up, to lay him on the altar making the choice to willingly lay down his life sounds like someone else, doesn't it? Jesus Christ, our Savior, who willingly laid down his life to save us. John 10, 17 and 18, The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. And the rubber really meets the road in the Abraham and Isaac narrative, Genesis 22.10. Check this out. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. You talk about the ultimate test of faith. And in the face of the ultimate test, Abraham obeys without faltering, without excuse, without manipulation. What an example for us. Abraham was willing to give his all to God for God. And the same question, the question that lands in our laps today is, have you given your all to God? Have you given your all to God? Have you given yourself and everything you love over to Him and His sovereign will? And you know what scares me about the capital C Worldwide Church, ours included, is that there are a whole bunch of well-meaning people who call themselves Christians and you've grown up around the church and what you've done is you've just added a little bit of Jesus to your life. 
Think about it a bit like a cup of hot cocoa that you squeeze a little whipped cream on top of because, well, the whipped cream just makes it a little bit better, right? You add a little dollop of whipped cream on top. And how many of us have done the exact same thing with Jesus Christ? We've just added a little bit of Jesus to our life because, well, he just makes everything a little bit better, right? And so there's a lot of us who call ourselves Christians and we're trucking right along. Yes, things look pretty good from all the externals, but you have this false sense of security because you've never really given your all, your everything to God. You've never given your whole self, everything you love, over to Him and His sovereign will. You actually, many of us, still love the world more than you love Him. You love the world more than you love Him. You still love the things of this world more than you love Him. You haven't actually changed your relationship with the world to the world whatsoever. You still do the same things. You've just added enough of Jesus Christ to make you feel good, to make you feel warm and fuzzy and safe. But you haven't given your whole life, your whole self over to God and actually invited Him to change your life from the inside out. You're just living life just trucking along, like everything's just fine, carrying with you what I believe is a false sense of security, that scares me for you. It scares me for you. And look at back to the Genesis narrative, Genesis 22, 11 and 12. Check out what God did next. At that moment, the knife is raised. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. He keeps answering that way, just in case God can't see him. Here I am, right here. And the angel of the Lord says, Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. God shows up. Whoa. God shows up. And here's how he showed up. That phrase, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. You know who that is? That's Jesus. That's the pre-incarnate form of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before he put on human flesh, before he came as a babe in Bethlehem, Jesus makes an appearance on scene with Abraham and Isaac, the angel of the Lord. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. When the whole world, us included, we look on Abraham's life and we marvel at his faith, don't we? And we look at this narrative and we go, you know, I'm not sure I would have been able to do that. I'm not sure I would have done what Abraham did did. I'm not sure I would have obeyed God in the same way Abraham did. Which lands the question in our lap, can the world see our faith like they see and like they saw Abraham's? Can the world see that kind of faith in God, in you? Does the world know you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, trusted Him alone for your salvation? Does the world know that you believe in Him with your whole life, that He paid the penalty for your sins by dying in your place on the cross? Is there evidence, is there fruit of that to the world around you? Or are you just living life, a little bit of Jesus added on to everything else you already have going on? 
Genesis 22:13. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son, a ram offered in place of his son, Isaac. Very much so like Jesus Christ was offered in our place. It's a powerful picture of the coming Messiah. But get this, the real Lamb of God was still to come. And that Lamb is Jesus, John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, all of our sin. And the narrative concludes in verse 14. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Literally, Yahweh Yira means the Lord will see. The Lord will provide, which teaches that the Lord has seen our need and he will provide for it. It happened with Abraham and Isaac, didn't it? The Lord saw Abraham's need and provided for it just enough, just in time. And the same exact thing is unfolding in all of our lives. Just enough, just in time. And here's the deal. Right out of the chutes, God saw our greatest need, didn't he? And our greatest need is salvation from sin. Salvation from an eternity spent apart from God in a very real place that the Bible calls hell. And what did he do? He provided for that need as well. And all of us who trust in him, we have the promise that as we walk with him, our salvation is taken care of, isn't it? And he also promises that all of our other needs will be provided for by him as well. Very often, just enough, just in time. Just like Abraham. Just like Isaac. Why don't you take your stuff and set it aside if you would, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Just press in with the Lord and ask Him to continue to speak to your heart about the things we've been thinking about together today. And as you're praying, I want you to know that it isn't enough for us to go out of here today with just some interesting insights into the story of Abraham and Isaac. Having learned some historical parallels between the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jesus Christ, that's not enough. The question is, what is God pressing you on from that narrative? What is God perhaps trying to teach you through a season of testing? Are you learning from that season? Are you resisting his lessons? You got your heels dug in? Maybe God's trying to teach you about a way out of the temptation that you face day in and day out. Maybe God's trying to teach you that there's a door there. But ask yourself, are you looking for the door? Or are you just drinking in and indulging the temptation and then blaming God for allowing it. Have you given your all 
to Him? Have you given yourself everything you love over to Him and His sovereign will? Or have you just added a little bit of Jesus to your life? Just enough to keep you warm and fuzzy? And you're walking around with a false sense of security. Do you love the world more than you love Him? Do you love the things of this world more than you love Him? Have you changed your relationship to the world in any way? Or are you still doing the same things? Does the world know that you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? Do they know that you believe with your whole life that he paid the penalty for your sins by dying in your place? Is there fruit of that to the people around you? Is there evidence of that? to the people around you. Please, before you leave today, wrestle the answers to some of those questions. Maybe for you it's just one of them. Wrestle them through with him. And maybe there's those of you who don't know personally the God who loves you so much that he gave his one and only son of promise for us on the cross so that we could live in right relationship with Him starting right here, right now, and for all of eternity. See, it isn't just about heaven. That's someday, yes, and it's gonna be fantastic. But it's also about right here, right now. A new quality, a new quantity of life in Him today. And if that's you, what's keeping you from inviting Jesus to be your Savior and Lord right here, right now? What's holding you back? What's stopping you? What if this is your day to cross the line of faith in Him? If that's you, you can do that by praying right where you're sitting a prayer that goes something like this. God, I need you. I want you more than anything else in this world. Come into my life. Cleanse me. Forgive me of my sin. Set your Holy Spirit in me, God. Cause my heart to be fully devoted to you. And God, I know I've sinned and I repent of my sin. I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning from my own path. And God, I'm going your way from here on out. I'm all yours. No more halfway. Help me, God, to live all in with you, for you, from here on out. If that's your prayer today, you just real boldly lift your hands high and lock eyes with me just right now. Don't be shy. Just say, yep, that's me. Stepped across the line of faith today right there. Yes. And yes. See you to my right. Yes. Both of you right back here. Yes. I agree with you. I say yes with you right here. Yeah, buddy. Way to go. God, cause our hearts, please, to be fully devoted to you. 
May we not be double-minded or divided halfway in, halfway out with you. Stir our hearts to love you fully and engage in your ministry completely. 